Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. So we know that many people undergoing treatment for cancer face challenges with uh, eating and nutrition, but people facing head and neck cancer and its related uh, treatments face some of the most daunting ones because of the location of their cancer. A study I read stated that up to 80% of patients with head and neck cancers, 80% are malnourished, some prior to even starting treatment because their tumors cause eating problems. Most become malnourished because of treatment side effects that cause eating problems. According to the reports of Practical Oncology and Radiotherapy, and I quote, research shows that malnutrition and inadequate oral intake are associated with poor treatment outcomes, reduced quality of life, and increased mortality. Today, we're going to take a close look at nutrition, its impact on cancer treatment, and talk about how to reach the best nutrition possible before, during, and after treatment to support the best quality of life and treatment outcomes. We have some wonderful guests joining us today so that you can make the best, most informed decisions for you and your loved ones. Our first guest is Jean Johnson. Jean recently retired from the field of higher education after 40 years. Her career started in education as a college professor of computer science. And after a period of time, she began to realize that she was drawn to the administrative side of education. During her 23 years in a position as Dean at City Colleges of Chicago, Her philosophy was to develop a school that would embrace lifelong learning, promote the development of positive relationships among students, faculty, staff, and administrators, foster academic achievement, embrace diversity and respect, adaptability, and life success. Jean was diagnosed with stage four laryngeal cancer, that's cancer of the larynx, in 2012, and later with bladder cancer. She's currently an active member of the University of Chicago Medicine Cancer Services Patient and Family Council and has just begun working with patients as a volunteer in the areas of infusion and inpatient cancer services. Thanks for being with us, Jean. Oh, thank you for having me. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Dr. Everett Bokes, uh, an international authority on the treatment of head and neck cancer, and Jill Bice, a registered dietitian at the University of Chicago Medicine with specialty certifications in both oncology nutrition and nutrition support. But let me get started with you, um, Jean. I'd love to ask you how you're doing today. Um, well, I'm almost six years out from being diagnosed and treated for laryngeal cancer. I'm cancer-free and living and thriving in my life. It's a different life than the one that I had before cancer. Before being diagnosed, the word cancer or fear of cancer was never part of my vocabulary. Now it's a part of my life. The fear of cancer returning is fading, but it still exists just to a lesser extent. Any issues that have surfaced from my cancer, I call them the perks of cancer, and I adapt. I am recently retired and now a volunteer at the University of Chicago Medical Center on the infusion floor, and it's a super experience. 
That's terrific. That's great, Jean. Glad to hear you're doing well. Um, can you take our listeners back in time? Can you tell us what symptoms you were experiencing that led you to seek some medical attention? Um, yes, I had developed um, uncontrollable hacking cough that had produced a lot of secretions. I went to my primary doctor on three different occasions during the starting in October of 2011. Each time was diagnosed with an upper respiratory infection. In late June of 2012, I had the same issue, but now there was excruciating pains from my ear. It was like knives being twisted. My primary doctor asked what he thought I thought was happening, and I told him, well, I worked until 7 or late or later at night, came home, and dinner that night was mostly a simple peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and then I usually ended up with heartburn. He said, well, you know, that could possibly be GERD and recommended that I see an ears, nose, throat doctor. I had lost some weight, and my hair was thinning a little bit, but I attributed just to the stress at work. Early in July of 2012, I went to the ENT doctor that he had recommended, and he scoped the throat and immediately sent me for a CT scan and with the results prompted me for a biopsy. The results of the biopsy were laryngeal cancer was confirmed. With urgency in this doctor's voice, he referred me to an ear, nose, throat surgeon at the University of Chicago and helped to secure an appointment the following week. He said he was sending me there because the medical center worked as a team and he was not capable of handling this type of of cancer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so tell us, uh, once you got there, Gene, tell us what was the recommended course uh, course of treatment um, and did did your care plan include information or counseling about nutrition? Um, the treatment that was prescribed was going to be eight weeks of chemo that I would have once a week on Fridays. The next step in the treatment was 12 weeks of one week in the hospital and one week home. The in-hospital stay was radiation twice a day and various treatments of chemo every day. I had scans and biopsy on July 3rd and started. I was in treatment by the week of July 27th. During the diagnosis and the treatment, I was fitted for a radiation mask that was going to be used 10 weeks later and was told to maintain the weight that I tried to maintain the weight that I was at currently. At that time, I met with several people who were part of the team that gave me directions and advice on food choices that I possibly would be able to tolerate during the chemo treatment and help maintain the weight. I also was to, also was told that I probably would need a feeding tube in the hospital, in which I stated, oh, no, not me. Mm. During the cre- treatment of the, in the chemo treatments, a port was inserted, and this was fine, since I didn't like getting stuck with needles. I did tolerate the chemo with a lot of, without a lot of issues, was able to eat soup and soft foods, but I did experience the loss of my voice and hair and had a week with dangerously low blood count. After the initial chemo, there was a scan, and it showed that my tumors had, had shrunk by 50%, and I was elated. 
Bet you, I bet you were. I bet you were. Yeah. Tell us, uh, tell us, Jean, more about the about the um, about the feeding tube. What was that? What was that procedure like? And were you a hundred percent on the feeding tube? Were you also able to consume any liquid or or soft food by mouth when you were using the feeding tube? Um, the feeding tube was placed um, into. Um, feeding tube was placed in probably two weeks into the in-hospital stay and um, being able to eat. um, I wasn't happy they were going to do this, and I kind of tried to push it off, but the throat was getting very sore, and my diet was starting to become more liquids than anything else. I still thought I could do it, but it became more evident that I had lost that battle, and I was going to have the the tube. Mm-hmm. Um, after I left that hospital that week, any solid food was stopped. I was I wasn't able to do any solid food. Liquids mm-hmm. were just little sips. Mm-hmm. Shortly after that week, there was nothing left except ginger ale to moisten my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, as a feeding tube was learning experience. It took some trial and error to learn how to regulate the flow, mm-hmm. but then it's then and things got better and it started to work out for me. Gina, I um, I'd love for you to quickly share with our listeners the story you told us about traveling with your feeding tube pole to a, a hotel and how the front desk attendant at the hotel thought it was something other than that. I the feeding tube um, experience with the front desk was after I had finished my treatment I did a lot of I did a lot of um traveling for my job but the, the IV pole didn't fit into the suitcases so I had to find something to put it into so I went to a thrift store and got a carrying case for it and I by chance I was checking into this hotel and the clerk looked at my store uh thrift store bag and said to me oh you must be part of the pool tournament. And I looked at the clerk and tried to figure out what she was talking about. And in a split second, it registered. She was re- referring to my IV pole carrying bag. And I told her no. And I told her it was my lifeline. We both laughed, but I think she was a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Hey, Jean, in the years since I didn't your diagnosis... It was a pro- I didn't realize when I, br- I bought it, it was a pool cue bag. Oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's a great story. That's a great story. Um, Jean, in the years since your diagnosis, what changes have you seen in how nutrition is included in the care of patients with head and neck cancer? Um, well, actually, this is actually a time for the shout-out for the University of Chicago Medical yeah. Service Patient Family Council. Uh, the council is made up of patients, caretakers, and interdisciplinary staff. Um, nutrition is a priority for all cancer treatments. So at our meetings, there has been some lengthy discussions on that. Some of the some of the um, things that have happened since this group has gotten together is a. We have a new service with portable nutritious snack carts in the infusion area for patients and caregivers while they wait for their appointments. You can't imagine the smiles that an apple juice and a granola bar brings to these patients. 
Mm-hmm. We also have a free nutrition center that's just outside of the infusion area that contains non-perishable foods for those who would like to take home items of, and to assist in the healthy eating. Mm-hmm. The nutritionist is available for diet and education and nutritional counseling and assessment to aid in helping patients during and after the treatment. Mm-hmm. We even have the food service for the inpatient area that's been changed to include more healthy food choices. That's great, Jean. Um, Jean, we've only got a couple of minutes uh, until our uh, our break here. But uh, before we go to the break, is there any, any thoughts or advice you'd like to share with someone newly diagnosed with head and, head and neck cancer or someone in the midst of, uh, midst of treatment? You've been through it, obviously. And what advice would you have for our listeners? Um, I was very fortunate that the, the ENT doctor recommended the University of Chicago with its team approach and the doctors that specialized in the cancer that I had. Um, I knew that when I... Started the treatment, I was in for the fight of my life, and I developed a philosophy and a psychology for myself. The philosophy was I truly believed I was going to have the most positive outcome of the treatment, and the psychology was simple. I really only had two choices. One was to fight and the other to give in. Giving in was not really one of my options. My thoughts for someone newly diagnosed or in treatment for, for this, for the throat cancer, is you truly have to believe that you're not a spectator in this journey, but an active player that really needs to believe in the best outcomes possible. Mm. In May of this year, my doctor visit, I heard the word cured. I knew I won that battle. Mm. That's terrific. Um, Jean, I know that... Um uh, you were very lucky to go to a cancer center that had such a focus on nutrition. Uh, I imagine some of our listeners uh, don't have that resource, and I imagine we need to maybe encourage them to find some other resources available to them, maybe through the web and some other, you know, nutritional resources that they can uh, uh, that they can put their hands on. So it is terrific um, that you were treated in a center that has those resources, and I think we should definitely encourage uh, our listeners to um, ask if there are nutritional counseling services available to them in their cancer center or perhaps in their community. I know that in some instances, um, you know, they're going to need to check to see if their insurance is going to cover some of those services and, and uh, really explore uh, what is available to them. But it is certainly terrific that, um, that you had those wonderful resources and that uh, at that institution, they've incorporated those resources into the care plan. Uh, I've been talking today with Jean Johnson about her own experience with head and neck cancer and some of the challenges that she's experienced over the past uh over the past six years. We appreciate Eugene coming on to the show. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to continue this very important conversation with Dr. Everett Vokes and registered dietitian Jill Bice. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're now going to continue our conversation about nutrition and head and neck cancer with Jill Weiss and Dr. Everett Volks. Today's episode is made possible with support from Bristol-Myers Squibb. Jill Weiss is a registered dietitian at the University of Chicago Medicine. Originally from Michigan, she obtained both her undergraduate and master's degrees in dietetics and clinical nutrition services from Central Michigan University. Jill also holds specialty certifications in both oncology, nutrition, and nutrition support. Currently, Jill works in outpatient oncology with patients undergoing treatments to improve their quality of life and outcomes. She also works with patients who have completed treatments in order to optimize their nutritional well-being and increase survival. Jill, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. And Dr. Everett Folks is an internationally renowned expert in the treatment of head and neck and lung cancer at the University of Chicago Medicine and Biological Sciences, where he's currently physician-in-chief, the John E. Oldman Professor of Medicine and Radiation Oncology and Chair of the Department of Medicine. In recognition of his outstanding work, Dr. Volks has received many awards and has led many professional groups in the field of hematology oncology. In 2008, he was one of two recipients of the new Translational Research Professorship from the American Society of Clinical Oncology and is a recipient of a Francis L. Letterer Foundation grant for research on the malignancies of the upper aero digestive tract. Dr. Vokes is an elected member of the prestigious American Society of Clinical Investigation and American Association of Professors. And in 2013, Dr. Vokes was named a giant 
of Cancer Care by Onc Live. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Vokes. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. Vokes. Um, earlier in the show, uh, I mentioned that some of the challenges faced by people diagnosed with head and neck cancer are due to the location uh, of their cancer. Jean told us that she was diagnosed with cancer of the larynx. What are other parts of the body that are included in, in head and neck cancer? What is head and neck cancer? So that is a really good question. If we think of the head and neck, um, you uh, um, for this type of cancer, we don't include the brain, um, okay. even though it's in the head. Mm-hmm. But uh, brain cancer is something very different. So most mm-hmm. of the head and neck cancers arise from the surfaces, the internal surfaces that uh, cover the uh, swallowing and breathing areas in, in that region. So we're talking about the tongue, uh, the nose, the back of the nose, which is referred to as nasopharynx. And then as you go further down, you come into the larger area where we swallow and breathe. And those are called the pharynx, which can be subdivided into an upper and a middle and a lower part. Um, And similarly, the larynx. And the larynx is at the center, the voice box, uh, with a piece above uh, and a piece below. So you see it's a very, very complex structure that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, requires a lot of coordination for swallowing, for taste, uh, for uh, speech, and for breathing, ultimately. Um, And everything has to pass through there. So the patency Mm -hmm. of these structures is important, and their muscle function is important. They're very, very delicate. Um, The types of cancer that mm -hmm. occur in this area, then, are um, very much uh, related to... uh, um, uh, exposures, you know, that, that whatever goes through there. So classically, we think of that as alcohol and tobacco, but it's also viral. And sometimes, actually quite frequently, we don't know why. Um, and uh, so those are some of the cancers. Now, also in the head and neck, of course, you have the skin on the outside. Um, and skin cancers are not usually considered head and neck, but they can occur in the head and neck. Um, and then one exception there is maybe the lip area, which, you know, is where the uh, head and neck internal would start. Um, but there it's sometimes still, you know, sun-related mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. exposure that leads to those cancers. Dr. So Folks, it's um, very vital functions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Dr. Folks, Jean told us that uh, her initial symptoms included coughing, uh, soreness in the throat, acid reflux. Are these typical for head and neck cancers? What symptoms do patients generally experience? Well, at the earlier stages, it depends really on the precise location. So head and neck, think of it as, you know, the group name. Um, But then if you have a cancer on the tongue, you might have pain there. You might have a mass that you can feel or something that feels like fullness or that bothers when you're trying to talk or to chew. Um, If you have larynx cancer, Well, that's the voice box, and so it would frequently start with hoarseness. It could be uh, um, something diagnosed as a a cold that doesn't go away. A lot of our patients come in having been treated for a few times with antibiotics because uh, they thought it was a cold, Mm -hmm. and of course... Most times when we are hoarse, it is a cold. Um, So it's not always, you know, unreasonable to start out with some antibiotics. But if it doesn't go away or comes Mm -hmm. right away back, uh, that would be an early warning sign. So hoarseness is actually one of the early warning signs of cancer. Mm -hmm. 
um, because you've got a very delicate structure there that, mm-hmm. uh, that the patients will notice if it's not working. Now, when the masses get larger, then you have pain. Um, you can even sometimes see it as uh, lymph nodes get involved, or you might feel, or a man might feel when shaving, uh, that there's something a little bit uneven, and it's a lymph node. Uh, that would need some workup. Um, but, you know, the earlier signs is, is basically a sore throat, uh, mm-hmm. something on the tongue that isn't quite right, or hoarseness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jill, let me bring you into the conversation here. Um, so what role does the dietitian play on the cancer care team? How do you work with patients and more specifically some of the unique challenges of, of head and neck patients? Um, well, I do my best to offer patients support and advice to help them meet their nutritional needs during their treatments. Um, specifically, head and neck cancer patients um, have a very rough treatment. Um, they have a very hard time meeting their nutritional needs um, just because of where we are treating and because of oftentimes where the tumor is in their mouth. Um, before treatments, they a lot of times are having difficulty eating um, before they even start treatments. Uh, the side effects that they undergo during the treatments are pretty significant, so I do my best to help them navigate through these side effects and help them meet their nutritional needs. Mm-hmm. And why, Jill, is um, nutrition so important sort of during and after treatment for cancer patients? Oh, well, specifically for head and neck cancer patients, um, if they're going, undergoing radiation therapy, we do make molds of their heads um, or their the different parts of the body that are being treated, and we don't want them to lose too much weight. Otherwise, it can affect um, our planning for the radiation treatments. Uh, but more importantly, it's just a way of helping to make sure that they're well-nourished, and we need them to be strong enough to fight the cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure that they're getting adequate calories and adequate protein to keep that strength up and get through the treatments is just mm-hmm. so important to their survival. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dr. Folks, we've only got a couple minutes until our first break here, but um, can you tell us just quickly how is the diagnosis of head and neck cancer made and what are some of the main types of treatments that are recommended? Yeah, those, those are not, uh, not easy questions. The, the diagnosis <laughs> uh, is made, you know, a patient comes and has some symptom. Um, and the internist or the primary care doctor can look in the mouth um, it's not what they necessarily do best, you know, in their job, but uh, it is certainly something where they could see, say, if it's a tonsil mass or, you know, something in the tongue. Uh, more frequently, you need an ENT specialist to really examine that patient, uh, and that can be done in the office with an endoscope that usually is put in through the mouth and, you know, uh, through the nose, rather, and a good mouth examination. Um, and then if something is seen there, then uh, the patient would uh, usually be scheduled for biopsy of a mass because unless you have some tissue, uh, you really can't make a diagnosis. You need to have some of the material and look at it and evaluate it under the microscope in these days um, with more sophisticated analyses as well. And then we get CT scans and usually PET scans because we want to know how large is it uh, if it's there. Um, And for that, we want to know what's in the head and neck. We call that the primary tumor. Uh, And we also want to know our lymph nodes involved. So that would indicate some some degree of spread to uh, lymph nodes in the area. And how do you test for the the lymph nodes, Dr. Folks? 
How do you test? Well, those? you can you for one you feel, um, and you know if they're larger you'll feel them, but much more precisely, uh, you can evaluate them with an MRI or with a CT scan, and so we do those routinely. Uh, we also get PET scans that show us whether or not what is there is active. Uh, you know, tumors and PET scans, if you know, you know, are la- basically labeled sugar. Um, and so very active tissues, and a cancer is a very active tissue, uh, need sugar to survive. Mm-hmm. And so they take up that labeled sugar uh, much more, and we can then see that on that image. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really, you, you think about it as uh, a good exam. Um, something that's done in the office, that's then mm-hmm. done uh, maybe under anesthesia with the biopsy, mm-hmm. um, and, then, uh, and then the imaging. So let's hold, Dr. Volks, let's hold the conversation on some of the treatments for head and neck cancer uh, until after the break. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about head and neck cancer today, and particularly about some of the nutritional challenges that patients with head and neck cancer uh, face. We have Jill Bice with us. She's a registered dietitian at the University of Chicago Medicine and Dr. Everett Volks. Um, we are going to take a quick break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today's episode is on a topic that seriously impacts many people facing a head and neck cancer diagnosis, eating and nutrition. 
helping us understand what some of these challenges are and how they can be overcome are Dr. Everett Volk's International Authority on the Treatment of Head and Neck Cancers, and Jill Bice, a registered dietitian at the University of Chicago Medicine with specialty certifications in both oncology, nutrition, and nutrition support. This episode is made possible with the generous support of Bristol-Myers Squibb. Uh, Dr. Volk, before the break, we talked about some of the different tools in the toolbox that are used to diagnose uh, head and neck cancer. Can you just take a minute to let us know uh, what some of the uh, typical treatments are for head and neck cancer? Yeah, thank you very much. I think the treatments have to be reviewed really, really very much on a personalized individual level. But mm -hmm. the uh, goal of treatment, uh, as long as the cancer has not spread outside of the head and neck, so if it's not metastasized to the lungs or bones or liver, then really we want to try and cure the patient. And we want to do that with as little as possible morbidity um, and side effects. And so we have always tried to avoid very large extensive surgeries, but for small early tumors, surgery may indeed be the best. So a small mass on the tongue, we might do surgery with. A small mass on the vocal cords, we might not do surgery with uh, and instead treat that with very localized radiation uh, therapy, which can control those tumors in many cases. Um, but most tumors are somewhat larger, and then you need some combination of treatment. And there we get into, you know, a more typical approach where here we focus very much on the use of chemotherapy together with radiation uh, given simultaneously. And so the primary curative part there is the radiation, which is given locally to that head and neck area. And then the radiation is made stronger in the presence of chemotherapy. And the chemotherapy itself uh, will also have some effects directly at killing the cancer uh, and may help even if something should have spread to the lungs or bones, you know, just a few cells that we can't see uh, but that are there, uh, the chemo may actually be able to kill those. And so mm -hmm. our typical approach here at the University of Chicago would be to uh, consider surgery for something smaller uh, if the tumors are larger. We would uh, probably go in with uh, simultaneous chemotherapy and radiation. Sometimes we start out with chemotherapy alone um, and then uh, consider surgery for the lymph nodes in the neck, particularly if they were large. Um, that could be done before or at the end. Um, and uh, sometimes uh, if we need the surgery to uh, take care of the primary tumor, we do that. So it's mm -hmm. a mixture and very mm -hmm. much an individual uh, approach. Mm -hmm. So we, we do uh, feel that patients benefit from uh, being seen by a team that works as a team where all specialists are uh, together and, you know, meet and discuss patients so that it's one goal and it's not the mm -hmm. surgeon saying one thing and the chemo doc saying one thing um, and the patient left, you know, not knowing what uh, what what is the best thing. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so, Jill, you know, we're talking about some of the main challenges facing head and neck cancer patients. Obviously, the diagnosis, the, the proper diagnosis, the treatment plan, getting that in order, but really the challenges around eating and nutrition. So, so Jill, ideally, when would a patient begin to work with a nutritionist or a dietitian, and, you know, how long would that relationship last as they're sort of going through treatment and beyond? Um, so ideally, I'd like to meet with patients when they're just starting treatments or when they're coming mm -hmm. in for a consultation, mm -hmm. um, especially if they're coming in with eating issues to start with. Um, but 
it's so hard once they've already been experiencing issues and maybe they've already lost 20, 30, 40 pounds. It's so hard to play catch up and to regain that weight. So I really like to meet with patients before they have the deficit um, so we can try and troubleshoot and give them tools in their toolbox to manage side effects before it comes in, becomes an issue and before we have to play catch up. Um, mm-hmm. And then I do like to see patients, oftentimes the side effects from chemo and radiation can last for up to a year or even further. Um, So certainly at least a year I would like to try and meet with patients uh, just Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're getting back to normal life and doing whatever we can to get them back to their baseline. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, So Jill, just quickly walk us through sort of our first visit with an oncology dietitian. What's the goal of the meeting? What kind of questions are you asking? Can a patient prepare for that meeting? Sure. During the first visit, I kind of like to get to know what their normal is um, and what they what they like initially. Um, some some of my patients might be vegan or vegetarian, and we'll try and accommodate as best we can um, when we're going through treatments. Um, so I'd like to know what your normal day looks like and what you normally eat or any dietary restrictions that you have. Um, and then I want to know what your weight's been doing. So any recent weight changes I definitely need to know about. Um, and just to prepare if you're going in to see a dietitian, um, if you're taking any supplements, whether it be um, in the pill form or if you're taking like any protein supplements or anything like that, either bring the bottle with you or take a picture of it so that we know exactly what that is and we can make sure that it's not going to interfere with any of your treatments um, and maybe make changes um, Mm -hmm. or just to clear you that it's okay to keep doing that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Jill, I want to go quickly through this next piece, Um, but what are, what are, would you say are the sort of the top two or three concerns patients share with you and what do you recommend for coping with those top concerns? Um, unintentional weight loss is definitely a big concern and legitimately most patients do end up losing weight. So just making sure to eat small frequent meals. I tell patients to put something in your mouth every two to three hours just to be making Mm -hmm. sure that we're getting something in. It doesn't have to be a big meal. It doesn't even have to be a small meal. It just needs to be something going in. Mm -hmm. Um, And making sure to maximize the time of day that you feel well. Sometimes people feel really great in the morning and then by dinner time they can't get anything in. That's fine. Maximize breakfast. Um, Just trying to eat when you do feel well um, and be proactive and meet with your dietitian early. Um, Discuss different supplement options that you can take to try and help you meet your needs. Um, And then they can also help you prepare for side effects. And then making sure that they have a support system ready too. You're oftentimes not feeling well, so line up people to help you prepare meals. Um, So many people are offering you help. I tell my patients to take them up on it in the food form. Have them bring over meals, stuff you can keep in the fridge. Mm -hmm. Um, And then oftentimes patients have a lot of taste changes too, and that's hard for them. Especially um, meats tend to be um, kind of not appealing to patients. So trying to find other protein sources. Um, and if you're having, if your mouth is, isn't too sensitive yet, using strong marinades or seasonings um, to kind of fight through those taste changes. Um, and tart flavors tend to cut through a little bit better if you don't have any sores like lemon or pineapple, those types of flavorings too. 
mm-hmm. um, and using good mouthwashes. Oral hygiene is super important in head and neck cancer um, treatments, but especially if you're having taste changes, I tell people to rinse your mouth with a mouthwash prior to eating because it can kind of get rid of any bad tastes that might be lingering in there before you start to try and eat. Mm-hmm. And what about, Jill, nausea and, 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 and vomiting? I imagine that can be pr- pretty distressing if somebody's dealing with issues around the head and neck. Yeah, definitely. Um, the biggest thing with nausea and vomiting is to try and eat small, very small, frequent meals. Um, oftentimes, you get more nauseous if your stomach's too empty, especially if you're taking any pain medications. Um, so trying to make sure that there's always a little bit of a base in your stomach can be really helpful. And again, going back to the, make sure something's going in every two to three hours. If you're mm-hmm. having pretty severe nausea, a lot of times snacking on like Cheerios or um, crackers or pretzels, sometimes that dry, starchy stuff just kind of settles your stomach a little bit more. Um, and then avoiding strong smells. Oftentimes odors trigger, trigger um, nausea. So avoid strong smells. Stay out of the kitchen when people are cooking. Um, and then um, trying to choose like cold foods or room temperature foods because warm foods tend to be a little more odorous. Um, than the cold foods do too. So trying to stick with that stuff and using things like like nutritional supplements um, or smoothies um, to try and drink those because those are cold and you can kind of keep it covered, keep a lid on top of it and use a straw to get mm-hmm. to get the nutrients into your body. And just lastly, Joe, what about things like dry mouth or, or hydration. I imagine you deal a lot with dehydration patients having a hard time getting things down. Yeah, definitely. Um, I tell people to keep a water bottle on hand at all times and just be constantly sipping. I know for me, myself, I have to carry like a measured water bottle and I know how much I need every day. Um, and if I get to lunchtime and I'm not I haven't met half of that, then I need to kind of try and pick it up. But just kind of having it, carrying it with you all the time and be constantly sipping definitely helps. And then mixing Mm -hmm. up the flavors a little bit too will help Mm -hmm. you. So add some different fruits to the waters or some Mm -hmm. mint to your water just to kind of change the flavoring or a little cucumber Um, that can just make it a little bit more interesting. More appealing. Terrific, terrific. Uh, This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about head and neck cancer and some of the nutritional uh, challenges with head and neck cancer diagnosis. We're talking with Jill Bice and Dr. Everett Vokes. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The cancer support community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the cancer support community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. 
The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Train, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is about nutrition as it relates to head and neck cancer and is made possible with support from Bristol-Myers Squibb. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo, and we've been having a truly insightful conversation with Dr. Everett Folks and Jill Weiss. Uh, I can't believe we're, we're getting near the end of the show. There's still so much more um, to talk about. But Dr. Folks, I, I want to um, ask you about a feeding tube. I know that that can be a scary thing for a patient um, to consider. People fear them. People reject them. Uh, people think they're only for end-of-life care. What What is a feeding tube? How is it used? And, and specifically, is this a common uh, uh, approach for patients with head and neck cancer? Well, I want to be very emphatic. It it has nothing to do with end-of-life care in, in this case. It has to do with supporting a patient during a critical time because if you think about radiation or surgery in the head and neck area, it's going to be associated with some degree of pain there. Uh, and there's temporary loss of taste, there's dryness because the saliva doesn't work quite the normal way. And so as patients lose weight, um, we actually try to avoid a feeding tube for as long as we can. We don't just put one in automatically in everybody. Um, that's, that's sometimes still done at, at institutions. We don't want to do that. I'd much rather have a patient be able to keep up swallowing uh, ability and, you know, stay in that habit, even uh, if it hurts a little bit, and then we try to give pain medications to support the patient. But if there's weight loss, you know, 10% of body weight or more, um, and you still have a significant amount of treatment to go uh, so that you know it will only get worse for another month or two, then a feeding tube is very, very reasonable to uh, entertain as an option. Uh, 
and it's uh, put in uh, usually with uh, some light anesthesia uh, by radiologists frequently these days, and you basically end up with a small hole in the stomach uh, to the outside that the tube goes right into the belly, so nobody sees that you have it. Um, it will hurt a little bit in the beginning, um, and uh, then then patients get rapidly used to it, and it's in place for as long as it's needed. Um, we very much when when radiation is completed uh, allow you know four to eight weeks it's very individual uh, for uh, for the healing process Mm -hmm. but once a patient can uh, swallow again and is uh, basically off most of the pain medications then the feeding tube should come out just like the port comes out you know if Mm -hmm. chemotherapy is given that's frequently given through Mm -hmm. a port that doesn't stay in and the feeding tube doesn't stay in um, mm-hmm. You know, unless the tumor was so large, mm-hmm. and that can happen, where, you know, the tumor eats into some structures, um, and that as we treat and uh, get rid of the tumor, those structures are not fully functional anymore uh, because they were destroyed or sometimes because of radiation side effects. Then it can mm-hmm. be hard to remove the tube um, because the patient might need it for a bit of a longer mm-hmm. period of time. But I very much uh, would see it as a supportive thing and not as something that uh, is is associated with end-of-life care. And just quickly, Dr. Volks, when you have a feeding tube, is that the exclusive source of nutrition or can you still take food and and beverage by the mouth? Yeah, as long as uh, the food doesn't go into the lungs. So some, we call it aspiration. Uh, you know, where, where the, the muscles don't function uh, finely enough. And when patients swallow, they start coughing, uh, sometimes could get a pneumonia. Uh, then we have to tell the patient don't eat or drink for the time being. Mm-hmm. But uh, short of that, uh, it's actually great if patients continue to swallow. I like that very much. I much prefer that uh, mm-hmm. to a patient not eating at all by mouth. And then the feeding tube is used as a supplement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Jill, as we get towards the end of the show, um, I want to give some tips to our listeners. Not everybody has a Jill Bice <laughs> uh, in their uh, on their care team. Um, what if I don't have a nutritionist or a dietitian where I'm being treated for cancer? Are there other ways I can find one? Other resources? Are these services covered by insurance? Covered by Medicare? You know, how do I think about that? Sure. Um, I would go to the the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics website, which is www.eatright.org. And there is a tab on there that's called Find an Expert. And they will um, pull up a list of registered dietitians, and they can even specify into dietitians that specialize in oncology nutrition um, on that website. And they can find someone in your area to help. Um, the coverage, insurance coverage, depends on your insurance. Um, it's not always covered by your insurance, but mm-hmm. I would tra- double-check with your cancer center to make sure absolutely there's not a dietitian available. Um, I know at University of Chicago, we don't bill insurance for my services. Um, so I would start there first and then find the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics website to look for other experts. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Dr. Folks, I mean, I know more and more in oncology today, we're really talking about this, uh, what's referred to as a multidisciplinary team, bringing in folks like Jill, bringing in a nutritionist, a dietitian, bringing in a speech therapist, um, others. Um, What do you see as the sort of advantage of, of bringing a team together around the patient? Well, I think it's an absolute necessity. There is there's really no way a head and neck cancer patient can be treated in the absence of that. Uh, you can think of it as, as the small team. Well, that would be radiation, surgery, and chemo uh, because most patients end up needing more than one specialty. Um, but then think a little bit larger. You need a pathologist, somebody who helps you with the diagnosis because sometimes uh, they're atypical cancer, so it could be lymphoma. Sometimes it's, it's a thyroid cancer. Uh, in the head and neck. So you need a good pathologist who can help with that. And then the supportive care, people who can evaluate um, the uh, speech and swallowing. Uh, You know, we talked about aspiration. Uh, Somebody who can help with that. Nutritional support is absolutely essential. Um, And then then a dentist, uh, because you don't want somebody who has dental problems uh, to go in and have radiation to that area and then in the middle of radiation needs some, you know, dental procedures. Uh, so, so I think that that kind of a larger uh, multidisciplinary team is, is an absolute requirement. Terrific advice. Um, Jill, speaking of advice, as we come to the end of our show, what advice do you mm-hmm. have for someone who's just been diagnosed uh, with, with head and neck cancer as it relates to their, uh, their nutritional support? Give us a couple tips. Um, seek out help. Like you said, try and find a dietitian. Um, find people to be part of your team. And just keep in mind that the doctors and the nurses are doing so much um, that you can't necessarily be in control of. But the biggest thing that you can do for yourself is to make sure that you're well hydrated and that make sure that you're well nourished. So just kind of taking that as your job, that's your number one job, is to make sure that you're meeting your nutritional needs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I, I just want to mention a statistic from our own organization, the Cancer Support Community. We have a, a registry uh, called the Cancer Experience Registry, and we have over 13,000 participants representing over 45 different cancer types. Uh, these patients have answered survey questions. Um, and the data indica- indicates, interestingly, across all cancers, food and nutrition is a top concern. Uh, for patients across all cancers, but we certainly know it is a particularly pressing concern uh, for people with uh, with a head and neck cancer um, diagnosis. And so we really are so grateful for Jill and Dr. Vokes coming on to the show today to give us some great tips and advice and information. It's been quite a learning process uh, today. I just want to remind folks that um, at the cancer support community, we have free support services. We have uh, uh, support groups, education, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. So give us a call at 888-793-9355 or visit our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.